Good afternoon. Good to see you all. Uh, so I'm going to unpack some of that passage for us, but some questions to get you thinking before we dive in. Do you ever wonder what Jesus would say to our culture if he was on earth today? What would he say to our political and religious leaders or to the crowds who would come to him? Do you ever ask yourself if Christianity and the church are even relevant today? Does the gospel have anything to say to someone living in 21st century Britain? It's easy to be deceived into thinking we're such a, a different culture and our times are so different that maybe the Bible is no longer relevant. But I think as we've been reading through Mark's gospel and particularly in our passage today, we should see our culture is not as different to the one that's described by Mark. In Jesus' time, identity was everything. Are you a Jew or a Gentile? If you're a Jew, what tribe do you belong to? What's your status, free or slave? Today, we have people worried about identity. We hear about identity politics, intersectionality. Identity is just as important as it was 2,000 years ago. In Jesus' time, there was an atmosphere of in or out. Are you part of the in crowd or are you excluded? Are you clean or unclean? And today we hear lots about cancel culture, people being told they are excluded. In Jesus' time, the religious leaders were self-righteous, making a show of keeping their man-made rules. And today we have an increasing number of people who virtue signal. They want everyone to know they have the right opinions and support the right causes. And in Jesus' time, the religious leaders tried to control language with their blasphemy laws and rules. And we're seeing our political leaders increasingly criminalise uh, the so-called wrong speech and wrong opinions. With the Scottish Parliament seemingly about to criminalise what Scots might say even in their own homes. So maybe instead of congratulating ourselves on the progress we think we've made, maybe we should recognise we're not that different to the culture described in Mark's Gospel 2,000 years ago. Human nature really has not changed that much. So when Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, what he says is directly relevant for our culture today. Jesus proclaimed the gospel then and we should have confidence to proclaim the gospel today. While the world says you need to have the right identity, Jesus says all are welcome. While the world says you need to keep our rules to be righteous, clean and acceptable, Jesus says Come to me and I will make you clean. While the world says we are in control and we decide who is in and who is out, Jesus says, I am the Lord of the kingdom of heaven. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus declares that the kingdom of heaven is far greater than anything this world has to offer. And what we're going to see today are some answers to questions I think have been posed by Mark's gospel so far. And we need to hear those answers today because we have the same questions. Those questions are, the kingdom of heaven, who is it for? The kingdom of heaven, how do you get in? The kingdom of heaven, who lets you in? If the kingdom of heaven is so great, it is crucial for us to know the answers to these questions. Uh, another question for you who's watched more tv box sets this last year do you have in the rest of your entire life i know i have 
Thanks to the many streaming services available, we can access hundreds of thousands of hours of TV and movies. I looked it up and apparently to watch the whole of the Netflix library in one go would take more than three years of continuous watching. And, and thanks to all the lockdowns, we've had plenty of opportunity to explore this Aladdin's cave of entertainments. And I was thinking about it, there are probably four types of box set users. So maybe see which one you identify with. Those who watch nothing or very little, the self-controlled. Uh, those who will watch anything, the uncontrolled. Those who like to watch new things recommended to them, the controlled by others. And those who only watch the things they like, the I'm in control. I've tried some new shows, but my favourite genre is crime drama. And as I've been planning for today, it struck me as we've been going through Mark's gospel, it is a li little bit like watching a drama series box set. You have one big story, but each small episode is a story within the big story. There are so many threads in the plot and we're going to have to wait until the end to get all the answers. There are different characters coming and going. We've had conflict and murder. There are twists and turns to keep us guessing. And the tension is growing as we near a climax within the big story. Now, today is our episode 11 out of the 14 we're going to cover. So like any good box sets, I thought I'd do a quick recap before we get into the next episodes. We left the story last week with Jesus in a confrontation with the Pharisees, a confrontation about being clean or unclean. The Pharisees challenged Jesus and his disciples about hand washing. Jesus ended telling them and us, it is what comes out of hearts that makes us clean or unclean. And Marco covered that for us last week and thought about what it meant to have a clean heart, a heart devoted to Jesus. And I think in our passage today, Jesus doesn't just talk about it. He demonstrates the truth of this question of whether someone is clean or unclean, whether someone's in the kingdom of God or out of the kingdom of God. Through a set of three stories, Jesus answers our question. Who is it for? How do you get in? And who lets you in? Two weeks ago, when Jim took us through Mark 6, 30 to 56, he emphasised the importance of tuning in to the Old Testament frequency. So, like a good listener, I did what he said. I asked my parents about tuning a radio, as Jim had described, and um, I have to admit, I'm a bit surprised. I thought Jim was younger than me, but my parents helped me to understand what he was talking about. I'm not just shoehorning in an opportunity to gently tease Jim. Uh, in all seriousness, the point he was making is vital if we're to understand as much as we can of what God has for us in Mark's gospel, to get deeper into the gospel of Jesus Christ. It really helps us if we have a good knowledge of the Old Testament to deepen our understanding, which should deepen our relationship with Jesus and help us grow in our maturity as his disciples. So today, again, we will need to tune into that Old Testament frequency. But as an extra frequency, we also need to be listening out for cultural references. Obviously, those people who witnessed the events and the first readers of Mark's gospel will have picked up these things very quickly, but we're going to have to work a bit harder. Now, as we turn to the three stories, you could be forgiven for thinking these three stories today are just more the same. But using our TV drama box set analogy, it, a question might be, is this just a filler episode? It doesn't add much to the big story, just moves us along a little bit. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. As we dig deeper into these stories, I hope you will see why these stories are essential 
to our understanding of the big story being told. So let's look at our first story. A woman comes to Jesus because her daughter is demon possessed and she wants Jesus to help her. So far, nothing new, but we've already seen uh, Jesus cast out demons. But look again at the details we have in the story. It happens in the vicinity of Tyre. It's a Greek woman born in Syrian Phoenicia. Do you spot what those cultural references mean? Maybe they don't stir anything in you. But to those who are present, those who were reading this when Mark first wrote it, these details would scream out loud at them. Gentile woman, unclean. Jesus had just left that confrontation with the Pharisees about being ceremonially unclean. And Jesus said it wasn't what's outside that makes you unclean, but what's inside, what is in your heart. And here he is facing a woman who would be considered unclean by the Pharisees. What does Jesus do? <laughs> he insults her. Probably not what we were expecting. Have you ever had that experience? You're having a family meal. Maybe you've got guests with you and someone says something completely inappropriate and insults someone at the table. Or maybe like me, you've even been a person who inadvertently does the in insulting. Picture it, you're there with your family, maybe with guests, and what do you think the atmosphere would be like if you turned around and called your guest a dog? So picture the scene with Jesus and try and get the full impact. We know he's in a house trying to get away from the crowds, but a woman finds him and comes to him and begs him to help her demon-possessed daughter. So the woman and the others who were there wait and see what Jesus will do. And his response, he says, no, you're just a dog. Maybe you feel offended on behalf of the woman. Why would Jesus say something like that? Why would he insult her when she's just come for him for help? But read on, because the woman is not offended. She has understood the full meaning of what Jesus is saying. There are two cultural references, children and dogs. So children meaning Jews, the chosen children of God. And dogs meaning Gentiles, the unclean, an insult used by Jews about Gentiles. What Jesus said reflected the attitude of the Pharisees. You have the wrong identity to be included in the kingdom of heaven. And the woman acknowledges the references, but uses the analogy to turn it around and make an appeal again to Jesus. And this time, Jesus does cast out a demon. I think by doing this, Jesus shows even a Gentile woman can come to Jesus and experience the kingdom of heaven. And we know as we read the rest of the New Testament, that's a truth that is affirmed elsewhere. For example, in Galatians 3, 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But what changed Jesus' mind? I think it's her heart attitude. We see her come and fall at his feet and beg him. And in her reply to him, at what seemed like an insult, she says, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What an astounding humility. She went to Jesus broken and empty. She went knowing she was completely dependent on his love and mercy, deserving nothing but asking anyway. Displaying what I think is a clean heart. And the daughter in the story is almost an aside, but don't miss what happened to her as well. 
possessed by an evil, impure, or unclean spirit. And Jesus casts out the demon. Jesus makes the daughter clean, setting her free from the bondage and slavery of Satan, a Gentile girl made clean. So next, Jesus goes to the Decapolis. A deaf and mute man is brought to him for healing. Another healing. But there are Old Testament and cultural references that tell us new things in this healing. It's not clear whether or not this man was a Gentile, but his disability would probably make him an outsider in the eyes of the Pharisees and others. They would probably presume his uh, disability was a direct punishment for sin. They would declare him an unrighteous sinner. But here we are, his friends bring the man and they beg Jesus to heal him. Now begging is a recurring theme. These friends beg Jesus. The Gentile woman we just thought of begged Jesus. And if we look back through Mark's Gospels at some of the other stories, we see many people came and begged Jesus. And I think it's worth stopping and thinking, what does this tell us? Well, I'm sure we've all had the experience. You see a genuine beggar in the street and they say, can you spare some change? But what's the message behind those words? What can seem like five simple words, but they tell us so much. That beggar is saying, I have nothing. You look as if you have plenty and can give me what I need. A small thing for you could change my situation dramatically. I have nothing to give you in return, but I need your help. I'm entirely at your mercy. Please have compassion on me. And I think that's what we should have in mind when we read the word beg or begged in Mark's gospel in these stories. These friends came to Jesus and begged him. In effect, they were saying, we have nothing and our friend has nothing. We believe you have what he needs. We cannot give you anything, but our friend needs your help. He's entirely at your mercy. Please have compassion on our friend. Now, back in verses 21 and 22, Jesus described an unclean heart in his conflict with the Pharisees. And I think we could quite easily describe a clean heart, the opposite of the unclean, as the heart of one who comes to Jesus as a beggar. So they beg Jesus and Jesus responds by healing the man. Now, throughout Mark's gospel and the other gospels, we see Jesus using different ways to heal people. Uh, maybe that was so that people would realise it wasn't a particular method, but it was the authority and power of the healer. But in this healing, I think there are two particular parts that are significant that will help us answer our questions. The first one is it says Jesus healed with a deep sigh. Now I read around and it's not entirely clear what the significance of this was. But for me, it immediately made me think of the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. Symbolising that this healing is a work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It is entirely a work of God to restore this man. The second one was to heal the man. Jesus says, Ephatha, be opened. Now, obviously, in our translation, be opened, we think it's just opening his ears and kind of loosening his tongue. But apparently the original word referred not just to those things, but to the whole of the man's being. Jesus was setting this man free in the fullest sense. So this healing is a work of God that sets the man free. Have you ever wondered what it was like for the people Jesus healed? We've seen this one. Uh, Jesus says not to tell everyone, but they can't seem to help themselves. 
And we've seen that in earlier stories too, where people are told by Jesus, don't tell others, but they just can't seem to help themselves. Uh, we're going to watch a short video that will hopefully help us realise why that might have been the case. So John's going to play that for us. Can you hear my voice at all? I want you to listen and see if you can hear my voice. Okay. You're okay. Are you able to hear the sound of my voice? You are? Okay. I'm going to pass these around because I knew we were going to need these. That's awesome. I know. You're going to sound loud. Your voice will sound loud. Been waiting for this day. Did you hear it? That's gonna make me cry. Okay. Um, let's see if you can hear your husband. Keep looking at me. See if you can say something to him. I love you, Allison. I love you. Thanks, John. So back to our story. Uh, That's just a taste of what it must have been like. And if you want an emotional evening, go on YouTube, type in uh, hearing for the first time and watch the the number of videos there. It's, It's amazing. The emotion and gratitude people feel, and that must have been the same for this man when Jesus set him free and enabled him to hear and speak. What amazement and wonder he must have experienced. How could he possibly keep that to himself? Even the people around him are overwhelmed with amazement. Just like those in the video that we watched, the enormity of what's been done overwhelms them. Now, the people around were also saying about Jesus, he's done everything well and makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, if you're paying close attention, if you're tuned in to the Old Testament frequency, your alarm bell should be ringing. Because that sounds very much like Isaiah 35, verses 5 to 6. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. What Jesus is doing comes straight from the middle of a messianic prophecy. And if we read on in that passage, it says a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there and knows the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So it's a messianic prophecy, but it also talks about holiness being clean and unclean, a prophecy about the kingdom of heaven. So by healing a deaf and a mute man, Jesus is giving clues he is the Messiah. But he's also fulfilling the rest of that prophecy, providing a way of holiness, a way for the clean, not the unclean. A way for the redeemed to walk, a way for the lo- those the Lord has rescued to return. 
those people who will enter the kingdom of heaven. And in our third story, we have the feeding of the 4,000. Now, it's not uh, the same as the feeding of the 5,000. We know that it says it's also another large crowd. Uh, And there are other clues in there as well. Uh, We have the region that Jesus says in those days when we saw when he was with the woman, the region and with the man he healed, the region he was in. It was a Gentile region. But there's also a really small clue which we don't pick up in our translations. And it can seem overly academic even. But this is God's word. And so it's there for a reason. In the original text, the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, there's a distinction between the type of baskets that we use. There's such a small, seemingly insignificant detail. But with the feeding of the 5,000, it's a specifically Jewish basket that is used to collect the leftovers. In the feeding of the 4,000, it is specifically a Gentile basket that is used for collecting the leftovers. So these small clues, these things from the Old Testament frequency and things from the cultural references help us work out what is going on here. Now, when we looked at the feeding of the 5,000, Jim summarised it as the Lord, the shepherd who feeds his sheep. Now, that wasn't surprising for a, a crowd of Jews to be referred to in that way. But here in the feeding of the 4,000, we see Jesus, the Lord, the shepherd feeding his sheep and his sheep includes a Gentile crowd. Jesus is Lord of all. So have we found the answers to our questions? I think we should remind ourselves, firstly, what the kingdom of heaven, who is it for? How do you get in? Who lets you in? Now, if you've been following and paying attention, maybe you've worked out the answers already. Maybe you already knew them. So who is the kingdom of heaven for? Well, while the world says you need to have the right identity and the Pharisees would say it's only for the Jews. Jesus is declaring all are welcome. This was always God's intention. Back in Genesis 12, 3, we read God's promise to Abraham and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It also fits with the mission Jesus gave his disciples in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does this mean for us? Well, particularly if you're here and you're not a Christian. Jesus is inviting you into the kingdom of heaven. Maybe previously you thought I'm not good enough to be a Christian or I'm not like these Christians. I wouldn't fit in. Well, what we've seen today is there are no barriers to becoming a disciple of Jesus. Jesus has already told us it is not about what is on the outside. Your identity makes no difference. Your circumstances don't matter. It doesn't matter how good or bad a life you think you've lived so far. In today's stories, Jesus makes it explicitly clear. Anyone and everyone can come to him. He welcomed the Gentile woman and cast out the unclean demon from her Gentile daughter. He healed the deaf and mute man. 
You fed a crowd of over 4,000 Gentiles. All who come are welcome. For those of us who are already Christians, maybe we need to be honest with ourselves. A moment to reflect on our own attitudes. Are there people we do not share the gospel with? Maybe that's not even a conscious decision, but when you reflect and think about it, you can recognise maybe there are some types of people or some groups you find it hard to share the gospel with. And where we see that attitude in ourselves, obviously we need to confess it to God and ask him to change our hearts. Jesus never excluded anyone who came to him. And that's the same loving attitude we need God to give us. Or maybe a different aspect, we make people feel they cannot come to Jesus unless they already have the right identity. Maybe inadvertently we make people feel they have to be like us before they can get in. We make it seem like church is more of a social club for the right people than a, than a family who welcomes anyone who wants to come and join us. Well, again, where we see that, let's repent and let's ask God to change our attitudes. Let's commit to working hard to make sure we don't place barriers in the way of people coming to Jesus. Another aspect of this, Jesus' mission obviously was bringing the gospel to the whole world, but he gave his followers the great commission to keep that going. As it says in Matthew 28, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So as a church, as individuals, are we committed to mission and evangelism locally, nationally and internationally? Do we take the Great Commission seriously? We've been given the authority and a command to proclaim the gospel to all. So do what you can, where you can, to fulfil your role in this shared task. Second question, how do you get into the kingdom of heaven? While the world says you need to keep our rules to be righteous and acceptable, and the Pharisees would say you need to be clean, Jesus proclaims, come to me and I will make you clean. Jesus already told us it's the heart that matters. We just need to come to him, trusting he will do what is needed with the right heart attitude. The Gentile woman came with the right heart, heart attitude, begging Jesus. The deaf and mute man came with the right heart attitude with his friends, begging Jesus. Again, if you're not a Christian, that's how you need to come to Jesus like a beggar. As you approach the Son of God, recognise you have nothing. In fact, it, the Bible tells us it's even worse. As sinners, we owe God a debt. We all come to Jesus with less than nothing. But we should believe Jesus has what we need. He can forgive your sins. He can make you clean and acceptable to God. You cannot give Jesus anything, but you can ask for his help. He promises to open the door for those who knock. You are entirely at his mercy. But you don't need to worry. He is merciful. You can trust in his compassion. He loves you and wants to welcome you and give you rest. So if you're not yet following Jesus, if you're not a Christian, whatever language you use, you need to come to Jesus with that humble attitude of a beggar. For those of us who are Christians, we really need to avoid adding rules to the gospel, telling others and each other, yes, it's a heart devoted to Jesus, but it's also these things as well. 
If Jesus said it's only about the heart, we have no authority to add anything to that. But we know we can so easily add rules. We are so quick to be self-righteous and, and to add rules that we can keep. And we can turn good things into ultimate things that you have to do to get in and stay in. So instead of creating more rules that are unnecessary, let us instead focus on our own hearts. Let's nurture our love for Jesus and stir one another to love Jesus more deeply. Is your heart as a Christian still captured by Jesus? Think back to that crowd of over 4,000. We heard that they'd been following Jesus for three days and had no food left. They were so enthralled by him that they didn't even think about what they were going to eat. Can you say the same? You're completely enthralled by Jesus and all he's done for you that nothing else seems to matter. To help with this, I know one practice that helps me. I would recommend preach the gospel to yourself and remind yourself often of what you were like before you became a Christian. We can read in Ephesians 2, a reminder, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. As we remind ourselves of who we were and what we've become, it should draw our hearts back to Jesus. Let's keep our eyes fixed on him. It is with this heart attitude that we enter the kingdom of heaven and it should be our greatest joy to know and love the Lord Jesus. And then the third and final question, who lets you into the kingdom of heaven? While the world says we're in control and decide who is in and who is out, and the Pharisees would say we decide, Jesus proclaims, I am the Lord of the kingdom of heaven. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It was Jesus who cast out the demon and made the girl clean. No way the girl could have done that for herself and her mum clearly could do nothing to help her. It was Jesus who set the man free and restored his hearing and speech. It was Jesus who was able to work this miracle and transform that man. It was Jesus who fed 4,000 and declared he is their Lord and they are his people. He is the shepherd of the sheep, including Gentiles. And if we read on the rest of that Ephesians passage, we're reminded that coming into the kingdom of heaven is entirely a work of God. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Think again of that video of someone who was hearing for the first time the, the emotion, the amazement how overwhelming it was for them. Do we still experience that when we remember what Jesus has done for us? Do we still have that sense of joy when we realise that Jesus made it possible for us to even be counted as God's children? But the truth that Jesus is the only way into the kingdom of heaven should shape our evangelism and our expectations because the gospel message is based on an objective reality. To enter the kingdom of heaven we need to approach Jesus with the attitude of a beggar and he will welcome us in, having already done the work necessary to make this possible. And this invitation is for all people in all places at all times. 
So our role as God's people is to pray and proclaim. Everything else is between the individual and Jesus. We can't control how people respond to that invitation. We can't argue or persuade people into the kingdom. It will take a change of heart and that is a work only Jesus can do. Now for all who respond to that invitation and come into the kingdom of heaven, we saw a glimpse in that feeding the 4,000, a picture of what that new life will be like. Jesus will be our shepherd king. He provides for his people and leads them. He cares for his people and has compassion on them. He will never let his people go. Being able to pass on the invitation to come into the kingdom of heaven is one of our greatest privileges. Seeing people step into the kingdom of heaven for the first time is one of our greatest joys. Knowing and loving Jesus deeply is our greatest blessing. So the kingdom of heaven, who is it for? Well, all are invited. The kingdom of heaven, how do you get in? Come to Jesus with the attitude of a beggar. The kingdom of heaven, who lets you in? We enter through Jesus, the shepherd king. Let's pray in response. Lord, we thank you for your words. But most of all, we thank you for King Jesus, the shepherd king who came to rescue us, to make it possible for anyone to enter the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I particularly want to pray for any amongst us who don't yet know and trust Jesus, that this invitation would stir their hearts, that your spirit would move them to respond and say yes that they would come to Jesus as a beggar, knowing that Jesus' arms are open, ready to receive them and welcome them in. And for those of us who are already children of God, Lord, would you bless us by this word? Would you encourage us, focus our hearts and minds again on Jesus and who he is? Would our love for him grow deeper and deeper? And as we leave our time together and go out into the world, would we be better equipped to proclaim that message we've been given? Lord, would you use us for your glory and to grow your kingdom? Amen.